Well, good morning, everybody. It's Sunday, February the 21st, and you are with St. John's Virtual Church. Uh, my name's Matt, I'm the vicar here, uh, and I'm leading a fantastic team who are helping us in all sorts of ways, being church during these uh, difficult times. So it's really encouraging just to say thank you again for all the hard work that goes into the free shop uh, and all of the donations that are going into uh, making that possible and to encourage us uh, to be generous because the things that we're doing are things we haven't done for a while. So we've got a marriage course going, we've got a couple of alpha courses going, there's all sorts of stuff going on that uh, is really encouraging. So don't be, don't be um, discouraged, be encouraged to be generous because there's lots going on. Uh, and that's really helpful. Just a, a little reminder, thank you so much for those who turned up for the uh, gentle and lowly uh, reading for um, Ash Wednesday. Uh, and I'll be doing that again uh, at 7.30 uh, this Wednesday. And the code uh, will be in the uh, daily, the weekly news. So do enjoy that. It's just a little opportunity to hear some sort of quite deep thoughts about very small thought, you know, very small things. Uh, but some deeper thoughts about just to taking us a little bit uh, deeper into who we are and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So uh, I do be encouraged uh, to take part in that. That would uh, that was great. And a little bit of opportunity for discussion and actually for some of us, some of us to see some faces we haven't seen for a while. Uh, so that's not a bad thing either. I'd, I'd say that's a bad thing either. Let's uh, just be still for a moment. Uh, and I'd like to start this morning's service. Before we think about, um, before we press on, we're looking at Nehemiah. We're continuing that journey, looking at rebuilding the church and the rebuilding and reforming of not just the build, you know, the, the wall, if you like, but the people. So today we've got a particular focus on uh, the people involved, Nehemiah and those around him. But with that in mind, let's um, focus. If you've got a Bible open, then Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called us together to be your people. And we thank you that your word is to shape us according to your purposes. And that within our hearts, your word, which brought us into being, is still echoing and shaping us. So we pray that from today, from this week, we would be a, a mindful of your word in action in us. We pray that your spirit would help us to understand as we write these laws on our hearts and we pray that you would bring us uh, to your kingdom in glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to hand over to Mike.
well, thank you very much. I do. I do. <laughs> it's difficult to say. I, I like the, all of these ones, but it's, it's really helpful to have uh, songs around us, isn't it, to, to help us remind us. Um, I'm going to hand over to Mel now, who's who's uh, going to read through quite a chunk of Nehemiah. There's two chapters there, quite a lot for us to think about. And um, but I'm going to give that to Mel to do. Hello, everybody. Today's reading is taken from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, starting at chapter 5 through to chapter 6, verse 15, in the NIV version of the Bible. Nehemiah helps the poor. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet, because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his thirty-second year, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, a hundred and fifty Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day one ox, six choice sheep and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. 
Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. Chapter 6 Further Opposition to the Rebuilding When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realised that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you very much, Mel. I, I think it's a really interesting pair of chapters and, and a couple of, a lot of thoughts there that we ought to be uh, bearing in mind as we consider sort of, um, just how we live today. And there's a lot of similarities and a lot of um, sort of uh, comparisons, if you like, uh, and contrasts. Um, between us and, uh, and the people of God in that time. But let's pray uh, as we think about what's going to happen, what these words might mean to us. Father, we thank you for this story. Thank you for Nehemiah's example. We thank you for all the things uh, that we can learn from him and pray that you are the same God and that you would help us in the same sorts of ways. Amen. I'd like to thank uh, Mike last week for that lovely little phrase, build back better. I can't remember whose political campaign it was from, but it's a useful way of encapsulating uh, the work of Nehemiah, that he is re rebuilding the, 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 the nation, if you like. He's rebuilding the people. Uh, and for that, they need to have great confidence and they need to have a strong sense of purpose uh, within him. And while there's the physical rebuilding of the wall and the wall would help 
sort of the people grow uh, and, and identify them as the people who could worship there. Uh, and at this point, it's helpful to them. We know in the Gospels it became unhelpful when people were excluded from worship. But at this point, it's helped building their identity, and that's helpful. And it's also about reforming the people. It's about rebuilding who they are. And remember that they've been in exile, they've been away from the temple, they've been away from worship that they were used to, and they've come back into a land where some of the people they'd left behind, or the families of those they'd left behind, have carried on and they've drifted a bit as well. So there's a lot going on uh, as Nehemiah tries to rebuild things. And one of the things that comes up instantly in chapter 5 um, is that the people are, are really upset because the men and the wives raised a, a, an outcry against their Jewish brothers. And what seems to have happened is that in order to continue the work of rebuilding the wall, some people had had to borrow money or sell their land. Uh, uh, and the, those, those who were able to sort of fund this were either charging excessive interest rates, they were sort of, sort of making more out of it than they should, um, in fact, should they have been charging interest at all? You'd have to look at the, the laws of the Jubilee in Leviticus for that. And they were also taking these, these families' children into servanthood uh, as kind of a down payment, so as to repay the debt. So there was instantly, there's kind of a lot of discomfort. And we understand that, you know, we understand that there's a lot going on there. There's people have returned. So if they're farmers, their crops won't have grown yet. They won't have anything to, to live off. Um, and they wouldn't also, you know, they've also got to pay the government tax as well. So, our, you know, the Persian king Artaxerxes wants his slice from the people as well. So it's a pretty grim time financially and a lot of people are struggling. There's no furlough scheme to, to talk of. Uh, and it just it just looks a bit rotten, doesn't it? That some people in the community were exploiting those less well off in their community. It's a pretty poor example actually to, to be setting if, if you can imagine if you can imagine an outsider looking in they would be going what are this lot like you know the, the rich ones are sort of they're all meant to be the same and yet hold on a minute these some of these people are really struggling and, and we're minded aren't we of perhaps the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts you know there were some who just wanted to keep a little bit back for themselves or make something for themselves and there's something in the heart there that it really didn't sort of sit well. And Nehemiah takes action. And, and I quite like the way, uh, one of the things we get used to in Nehemiah is, is, is the way he takes action. I mean, first of all, in verse six, he said, when I heard their outcry, I was really, I was very angry. And that's really, and that's actually quite interesting, isn't it? That we don't often think that being angry um, is a good thing, but sometimes there are things that are so unjust, so wrong, that they should make us angry. And here he's, he's angry at the injustice amongst his own people. The misapplication, if you like, they've said, you know, these, these laws, these ideas, they don't, they don't apply to us. Or, or this situation doesn't change anything. Or, or they've just come into it with a, with a really bad attitude. Uh, and Nehemiah is rightly angry. He takes action, which is lovely, but not after. Verse 7, I pondered them in my mind. Nehemiah isn't a rash person. While he feels angry about something, he's not going to sort of just react, knee-jerk reaction. He, he, he thinks about this stuff. And I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? When we see, uh, when we see Jesus uh, is stirred, you know, stirred, he takes action. That's what being compassionate means. Um, having compassion is not just seeing an injustice, but doing something about it. And, that, and that's, that's kind of the definition of compassionate, isn't it? We, we see things that are wrong, but how often do we really sort of stick our neck out and, and say, let's do something about it? Well, he takes quite direct action, actually, with the people, which is quite interesting. He gathers them together, uh, which, was, uh, which was quite a bold move, actually, because these are the, some of the nobles and the elites, and he's going to call them to, he's going to call them out. And he says to them, I, I called a large meeting to deal with them. Now, he's determined, his counselling has given him a course of action. And he says these words, which are really quite powerful. As far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. He, he, he lays out the issue with them and explains how immoral and, and how 
uh, lacking in compassion and unloving it was uh, that they were doing. Because the response is they kept quiet because they couldn't find anything to say. It just crystallises the problem for them by referring, you know, by calling out, this is the situation and you are part of it. What are you going to do about it? And then there's this lovely moment, isn't it, where he called, rather than just like leaving them to it, which is the tempting thing, isn't it? So, well, I've told them, he actually makes them commit to it. He actually makes them commit to their solution because he shakes out, he has this dramatic thing when he shook out the folds of my robe and says to them, in this way, may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who doesn't keep this promise. So he's making them commit to it as well. He's not just being compassionate and saying, here's a problem. He's not just bringing it to light. He's bringing solution. And the solution is born out, as we'll see, out of God's word. Their lack of, God's, uh, their lack of understanding or willingness to, to submit to God's word uh, has brought this problem. But Nehemiah's willingness to submit to God's word and his reverence for God are what brings a, a solution. So there's this pressure on Nehemiah, we, excuse me, we see it in a couple of ways, don't we? We see this internal pressure, this faith under fire as he tries to reform the church. And some of it is from within the build, within the people of God itself. And that's quite, uh, that's really quite significant, isn't it? That the two areas that he has to work with are troubles within and troubles without. And, and those, those probably feel quite familiar to us. Well, having resolved the issue there, and his example uh, goes to show just how far he, he was involved in this himself in terms of his reverence for God. He was, um, we see that he uh, had evidently in verse 10, he had lent money, but he hadn't charged this interest. And then we see later on his compassion actually extends from this point on. Uh, he has 150 Jews at his table and does not charge uh, them, uh, the people, the tax due for his role there. So Nehemiah is not just a man of conviction. He, he, there's, there's not a cigarette paper between what he believes and what he does. You know, he, he believes that he's there for a purpose. And so that purpose overrides what he does. So he doesn't tax the people for him being there. He's there for God. And that changes the way he thinks about things. And that's changes the, And his example, therefore, stands out amongst his um, compatriots, his friends, his, his, the rest of the community. So there's this faith under pressure that causes, uh, we, we see out of that squeezing, we see what Nehemiah is like. He's a man of conviction. He's a man of principle. He's a man of obedience. He's also a wise man. He takes counsel, doesn't he? Because, and at the end of this, he's a man who, who wants to be close to God, because in verse 19 we read, remember me with favour, O God, for all I have done for these people. And I don't think that's a wild boast. That's not just listing all of these things. I think it's laying before God. Look at, the, look at your people. And I think that's, that's helpful. It's okay to say, I've been working hard on this. I, I hope I've got it right. But chapter 6 takes a different turn, and we see a different form of pressure. The internal pressure uh, from within the people of God and within the city walls and, and that rebuilding project. We then see this opposition coming from outside. Uh, and the chief the chief uh, culprits here are Sanballat and Geshem. Now, one of the things, they, they try several ways uh, to try and undermine his work. They start, if you like, with a straight-off attempt uh, to trap him and probably kidnap him. They invite him by letter to meet at the village of Olno, near Ashdod and Samaria. Now, this isn't the right time for any kind of intertribal conference, um, and it's also on the border with some fairly unfriendly nations. So we can only uh, we can only imagine that they had um, mischief. Uh, there was mischief afoot and kidnap or worse. Uh, and it's a day. It's more than a day's travel away from Jerusalem. So this would have taken Nehemiah out of the project at a critical time. It would have taken Nehemiah out of it altogether. Perhaps, perhaps their plots were were more um, evil than that. So it's about physical danger that they attempt to scheme against him uh, and bring him out of the problem, bring him out of the picture. So taking him out of it, you've got pressure from the outside, outside threats, downright outside uh, threats from outside. They do not want to see this project succeed. Nehemiah is one of those people who just seems to know, doesn't he, 
but they were scheming, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 2, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Quite like that. In fact, that was that's kind of my thought for the whole passage, really. He's so convicted about what he's doing. I'm doing a great work. I understand what's going on here. So why, why should I stop it? Why should I let you get in the way? It's quite bold and quite assertive, but sometimes I think we need to do that, especially especially if people are trying to undo God's work, which seems reasonable to me. Um, we say, actually, you haven't got our interests at heart. Let's let's part company here. Hopefully, as friends, but I'm not getting involved. So they try again. So so Nehemiah uh, turns down the opportunity to meet um, Sanballat and Geshem uh, at the borders of unfriendly nations for understandable reasons. But then. Um, he writes, Sanballat then writes a letter, which Geshem underscores, if you like. Uh, and this is quite interesting. Rather than to sort of try to do him physical harm, they're now accusing him of things that would get him into trouble elsewhere. And Jerusalem had a history of being a rebellious city, and it had held out against the Babylonians for some while. So King Artaxerxes, who is the kind of overarching king of the area, he would have known well about the potential trouble of Jerusalem. So this letter sort of accuses Nehemiah of trying to rebuild the nation state and, and pronounce himself king and stand in opposition and, and all of those sorts of things. And these, accusi- these accusations are, are unfair and unfounded, but they're also something that would be of interest to a ruler who's used to having his own way. And it's interesting there that um, sometimes we get accused, don't we? We get, we get challenged on things which aren't true. Um, we get picked up on stuff that we're just not about. And if we're convicted and if we're sure about what we're doing, if we're sure about the faith that we have and how we're living it out, then kind of what the world thinks about it is is is, is harder to, to reconcile, isn't it, with what we're doing. So Jesus said, you know, if the world hates you, it's because of me. We will always be in opposition and we need to cling. We need to cling to Jesus who understood and knew this kind of opposition very well. The disciples knew about it very well, particularly if we looked at the, the early chapters of Acts. It just keeps coming back. The world doesn't want this message about Jesus Christ. And it's a difficult thing, isn't it, to filter out what this, whether we've transgressed, whether we've done something that we shouldn't, or whether they're just accusing of stuff and they don't like people who are trying to be godly. And there's, there's a fine line there. But uh, Nehemiah has the confidence to say, look, Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are making it all up. And even better than that, you're, up. you're making it up out of your own head. I love that. You know, you're, just, you're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Leave us alone. Uh, and I quite like that uh, because it's a, quite a robust response. which shows just how much he is conv- convinced about what he is doing about the work of God um, in compared to the accusations of the world around him. Now, we know... We can probably think of historical, (laughs) not so historical examples of churches that have been convinced of we're doing the right thing, we're doing the right thing. And and then they've turned out to be false or empty or hollow in what they've done or harmful to people as well. And that's really difficult line to walk. But if, if, if we're convinced about the law, if we're convicted that we're coming under the law, under reverence for God, then, then what happens happens. And I think sometimes we have to just accept we're not in step with you on this. We don't agree with you on this. This is this is how we see things. It doesn't mean that we then say, and you're therefore awful, but it does say we are doing this. And that's what Nehemiah's charge does, doesn't it? He puts some distance. This is what I'm doing. I don't know where you've got that idea from. And I think that's quite helpful. Sometimes we just need to be sure about what we're doing uh, is right. And our acid test is the word, because that's what keeps us on track. We need to be very careful how we apply it sometimes. And and sometimes things are said that are not right. But a sensible, gentle approach, as we see, out of reverence for God and compassion for people, is what should be guiding us. Because that's what his word leads us into, isn't it? The next uh, attempt on uh, (laughs) on Nehemiah is to intimidate him. There's this priest called Shemaiah who is shut in at the moment. I, I like that. He's kind of 
well, at the moment, I'm really unwell and I can't get out, but you need to come over and I'll meet you in the house of God. And, and what that does is it, it does two things, actually. It, it kind of tempts Nehemiah into this scenario where if he's seen going to the priest's house, then people are going to start questioning whether Nehemiah knew what he was doing or not. Going to visit the priest? That's not the priest he brought with him. What's going on here? Uh, and so it would start to sort of cast doubt on how sure Nehemiah was about what he was doing. And that's, and that's something quite, um, that, would be, that would be a terrible thing to do. But the other thing that Shemaiah talks about is go, let's meet in the house of God. And that's wrong on twofold, isn't it? First of all, Nehemiah knows he shouldn't be going into the Holy of Holies, the temple, that central part of the temple. He's not permitted to go there. He's, he's not a priest. He knows that. So Shemaiah is trying to trap him into sort of transgressing and, and doing something that's forbidden. I mean, he's also trying to bring him into a place where there'll be another attempt to off him. So um, Nehemiah discerns that this isn't anything to do with I'm not going to go and do that. I, I realised God had not sent him. And, that, and that's discernible by Shemaiah's actions, isn't it? He's not that ill that he can't go to the house of God. And why would a priest of any quality invite him into the, center, the Holy of Holies? So Nehemiah shows this great discernment and also this, this thing that I think a lot of us find hard to deal with, uh, which is um, handing it all over back to God. Um, because verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. You know, sometimes we just we, we struggle to hand stuff over um, um, to God and say, I've, I've not got involved, but it, it's, a, it's been a, an attack against me, but I'm giving it to you to deal with. And actually, part of the realisation of that is that he has, God has kept Nehemiah safe. And that we should remember that Jesus has kept us safe and secure. And, that, and the attempts of our enemies, the, the sins against us, which tempt us into responding in sinful ways, are things that he will deal with. So it's quite a hard balance there to see. There's several things I think we want to see out, out of Nehemiah, this little Nehemiah story. We've seen that he's had um, issues of, of um, conflict within the church that have brought pressure. And there's heat outside definitely as well. There's physical attacks on him. There's attacks on his reputation. They want to intimidate him, accusing him of false thing, of things that aren't true. And then trying to trap him and then you know, beat him up again. Lots of lots of things for him to contend with. And yet throughout, what I really enjoy about reading Nehemiah is he's just this sense of, I am so focused. He's so focused on, on the Lord. So there are two things particularly that help us there, aren't there? That he is he's passionate for God. He's reverent about God. Uh, he applies God's word to the poor and in his own standards. He keeps himself within that within that closeness to God. He has a deep reverence for, for God. He hands his problems to God. He also asks to be remembered to God and he asks for help uh, from God, doesn't he? We see that a little bit in um, uh, verse 9. Now strengthen my hands. This is getting on top, but we see this constant reverence in his relationship for God. God, you can do this. God, you have seen this. I want to. I want you to know about what's going on. So he has this deep-seated uh, relationship with God, which is what I think enables him to be convicted that he's doing the right thing. It wouldn't be right for me to stop the work and come and see you, because I'm doing work that God has called me to do. And I think that's really helpful. Sometimes we need to own that a little bit. We need to sort of remember that we're in this place. We're in the, we're in this place. We're in this area. We're in this. And we're here because God has called us to be here at this time. We're the right, we're the people God wants here at the moment. And that's really key. Have a, have a sense that, yeah, actually, God is calling me into doing certain things. And, and that's important. Romans 8, 28 talks about all of these things that God does as he calls us into this deeper relationship and prepares us uh, for an eternity with him. So I think that's, that's worth holding on to. The second thing about Nehemiah is his deep compassion for the people, what he does for the people. Um, he, he is an absolute fantastic example. So he doesn't just have this deep reverence for God. He has this deep love for the people around him. Uh, and I think we see that in, in spades in these chapters. 
And that reminds us, doesn't it, that you know, when, the, what, when, when the pressure's on, maybe you feel like the pressure is on, but when the pressure's on, what comes out? You know, what, what, what is it that, that spills out? When the pressure's on Nehemiah, what comes out for him from him is a love for God, a dependence on God, a certainty in his heart, mind, soul, uh, that he is doing what God is calling him to do and that God will protect him and defend him. And that relationship with God is probably probably underlines, uh, is, is what's underpinning his ability to spot what's going on. Sometimes if you've got a close relationship with God, stuff that smells wrong just smells wrong and you know it's wrong. So that's important. And secondly, he has a compassion for people. Jesus said, uh, love your neighbour as yourself. In fact, that, that greatest of commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself should be what comes out when we're under pressure. Faith under pressure should bring out the best, the best in us. Uh, and those are the things that Jesus wants us to make priorities. So what comes out of Nehemiah is what I hope we will see come out of us uh, as we feel under pressure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this chapter, these chapters about Nehemiah's story. I thank you that in faith under pressure, he showed us the things that Jesus calls us to. And pray that we would like-mindedly seek your will, seek your presence, seek to love those around us. For your glory. Amen. Well, it may be that this this story has just um, brought stuff out. It certainly brought out a lot of stuff uh, for me. I thought I was I was quite excited by that. Uh, I, I think quite hard. Some of those things really dwell with me. So I think just take a little bit of time over this confession. And maybe that you want to just pause between each part. Jesus Christ, risen Master and triumphant Lord, we come to you in sorrow for our sins and confess to you our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes, faithless and unbelieving. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived for this world alone and doubted our place in heaven. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. God, the Father of mercies, has reconciled the world to himself through the death and resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ, not counting our trespasses against us, but sending his Holy Spirit to shed abroad his love amongst us by the ministry of his reconciliation entrusted by Christ to his church. Receive his pardon and his peace and stand before him in his strength this day and evermore. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Kay, who's going to lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for our online services. Thank you for the modern technology that enables us to come together. And thank you for those who have been blessed with the skills to use it for the benefit of us all. Thank you for your word, and especially for the teaching on Nehemiah we are receiving at the moment. Lord, we're in a global pandemic and we lift all world leaders to you. We are all in this together. We pray for an openness and willingness to cooperate throughout the world. We thank you for the knowledge you've gifted world scientists with and we ask that the global rollout of the vaccines will be fair. We pray that you will bless our government with wisdom as they ease the lockdown restrictions 
and we ask for patience and obedience in the meantime. Lord, we pray for all those working in the NHS and care homes. A lot of them are exhausted and have been involved in very difficult situations. We lift to you all those who've lost loved ones in such horrible circumstances and all those who've lost their livelihoods and all those who are suffering mentally as a result of the pandemic. We ask that you bless them all with the support that they need. Lord, all that we have belongs to you. Help us to hold on to what you've blessed us with lightly. May we handle our money with the right heart and be obedient when you prompt us to give. We thank you for the free shop and for each family that comes to receive. Please ignite a spark of questioning about you within them and may there be opportunities to have fruitful conversations with them. We thank you for Mark, for all you gave us through him here at St John's. And we ask that you will be with his family on Tuesday and that you'll comfort them with the knowledge he's at home with you. Lord Nehemiah had a small and dedicated team with him and they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. Thank you for showing us that no work is too big if it's part of your plan, is guided by you and your people work together. Help us to seek your will first in our lives and to ask for your guidance and protection rather than to ask you to bless the plans that we have already made. Father God, you've drawn us together as a body of your people here at St John's. We're all so different and you've blessed each one of us with giftings. Forgive us when we've allowed our differences to cause difficulties and help us to increasingly see them as a strength and a blessing. Thank you for Matt. And we ask you continue to speak to him. Give him wisdom and discernment as he seeks you for your plans for St John's on how to encourage us, feed us and keep us together. Thank you for all those who are visibly working in our fellowship at the moment, for our teachers, musicians, for Kim and Richard. And we also thank you for all those who are less visible. Thank you for our church wardens, the PCC, the pastoral team and for all those who quietly go about working for you behind the scenes. As a body we are so interdependent and you rely on us to do what you prompt us to do. May no one feel too small or unimportant that they haven't a role to play. Help us to work together in unity as those who rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. As we think about ourselves as a body of your people here at Southbourne, we think of those we haven't seen since the pandemic started. We think about those members who don't have access to the internet, those older members who are more isolated. And in the coming week, please bring to mind someone in our congregation who is lonely, who feels isolated or forgotten and prompt us to pray for them and give them a call. Help us to be obedient to all your promptings and to be willing to have our plans disrupted. Like Nehemiah, help us not to be distracted from what you are calling us to do. Help us to stay focused so the opportunities you give us are not lost. Almighty God, this pandemic was no surprise to you. Help us not to lose heart, but to continue to trust you. Let us hold on to the truth that you have been, are, and will continue to be in control. When we are tempted to waver, help us not to focus on the problems in front of us, but to look up and focus on you. 
Forgive us for the way we've taken so much for granted in the past. Stir up in us grateful hearts, thanking you for all you have given us. Thank you for the first glimpses of spring we see around us. And thank you that you made the ultimate sacrifice for each one of us when you sent your only son to die on the cross in our place. We lift these prayers to you in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thank you very much, Kay. And um, now Mike's going to uh, wrap up things. There's an, a lot of interesting things going on in this hymn. Uh, and one of the things we, we should remember is the way in which we see God at work in, uh, in us, that Jesus is going to is doing things for us, how he holds us, how he cares for us. So enjoy this hymn and remember some of the important words that come out from it. Oh, oh, oh. 
Well, thank you very much. I do look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. I'm off uh, for the rest of the day. Um, but a closing blessing from the end of the book of Jude. So to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Stay safe and see you soon.